when you have something for free, then your intent to start paying, that decision to pay actually becomes infinite, can take infinite time. Every startup, every product is a journey. As against what people see it, like the most successful products weren't really built on the day they became successful or they became popular. There's a very long journey before that, which very often doesn't get talked about. And I think PLG is what it is. It's product led, right? So I think it's extremely important that when you're building the product, it is built such that somebody can sign up and start using. So there's some important principles to it that we worked with. Welcome, Thrivecasters. We have a very unique guest today. Her name is Sophia Solanki, and we're going to talk about her journey into implementing, exploring, figuring out, experimenting with PLG at her new startup called Narato. Welcome, Sophia. How are you? I'm good, Garaj, and very excited to be on your podcast. So yeah, great being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Sophia's background is very unique. I haven't met anyone with a dual degree per se, you know, that too, mostly from in India. So she has done her B.Tech and M.Tech at IIT Delhi. Uh, she's worked in multiple startups. I think her LinkedIn profile still also says that she's a serial entrepreneur. And I'm very glad to have met you, Sophia. And her journey has been very interesting. She's done multiple startups. She's doing growth. And her new startup is focusing on, or and maybe she can talk a little more about it, but she's creating all the content that's needed for the marketers and creators. And she's got a beautiful SaaS product around that called Narato. So maybe, Sophia, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and educate the audience around why did you get into being a serial entrepreneur in the very first place? And then what was your inspiration for Narato? Yeah, absolutely. Guraj, like you mentioned, you I did graduate as an engineer, but I clearly had an intent towards looking at business side of things as well. Early part of my journey was around four and a half, five years as a business consultant, where I was working with a firm on East Coast, New York and abouts on projects related to digital marketing. How can you refresh data to do better on PPC? How can you do it better on organic marketing? And that's where my journey in marketing, that's where my journey in digital marketing per se started. Four and a half years of uh, working with large financial services companies, uh, large digital publishing companies, I figured that I enjoyed working for myself a little bit more, a little more autonomy, a little more freedom to take your own calls. So that's when I started a content marketing agency. We were working with businesses around the world, um, trying to help them do better with content. And we've seen that journey and that journey went on for close to about 12 years. So I've seen the evolution of content from just being on the website to going on social, going on blogs. And then now there are like 100 different mediums that you could be present on. Bar of leveraging content as an organic medium to generate interest, audience, and even leads if you're a business. So it's been a very interesting journey. I've built another SaaS product called Drama, which was in the social media content recommendation space. If generative AI was where it is right now, I think the shape of that one would have been very different, but that was an interesting a short journey. And now what we're doing is I, my team, we are just pulling together all of our experience in this space and building a workspace for content creators and marketers to come together and do everything from ideation to collaboration, to creating, to shipping of the content from a singular workspace. AI sits at the core of it, which is why we call ourselves an AI content workspace. So you could 
come in, bring in your team, and rather than getting spread thin between a drive and Google Docs and maybe another AI tool somewhere, an NCO tool somewhere, you can just come to Naredo and you can start your journey all the way from ideation using all the AI tools to do things in less than half the time that you used to, to shipping them and publishing them to where you need to. We're very excited. We've gone through, of course, quite a bit of a journey over the last one and a half, two years of building it, taking it to the users. And our approach seems to be working really well, and we're very excited about what we're doing. Yeah, compliments to you on that. And to all the listeners, if you happen to visit Sophia's LinkedIn profile, you might find some interesting tidbits. Her background, which all started with machine learning models for a fermentation process using neural network. And this is the chemical engineering. And no yeah. no wonder she's married AI into content creation with her entrepreneurial spirit all the way through. So Sophia, you and your team have essentially dived head deep into AI. Chat GPT, you've been very well known to use it. You've been writing some content around it on various LinkedIn posts. Tell a little bit about your inspiration to build AI content engine for marketers. What were the problems that you were trying to solve? And how did you try to think about weaving AI into this entire space? Yeah. So, Guraj, we actually, when we started uh, working on Narrator and building it, generative AI was still not a thing. We were thinking mm-hmm. about how you can get content creation teams, marketing teams in a singular workspace. Software developer teams have thing, have a place like GitHub to go to or similar other software to go to where they can come, create, collaborate, and ship. But for marketers, they are always spread thin. They have a Google Doc somewhere floating around with some owner, and then you lose it. Your communications on email, etc. So we started our journey with trying to bring all of this at a single place, and that's where we built the narrator workspace. That's the first version of it. Then generative AI came on the scene, and we realized, oh wow, we are improving productivity through automation, workflows, and giving a workspace. But the moment you bring in AI, the jump of productivity that you get is way more than just the simple automations. And that's when we started layering the product with putting the AI components like an idea generation tool. We built another one, which is more proprietary around uh, figuring out how to, to do your SEO research before creating a piece. Then building on top of OpenAI models to give all of these great tools and templates that you could use to create content on the space. And that was amazing. That was revolutionary. We also built more recently AI content marketing autopilot, which basically takes some basic inputs, does all your ideation, creates 15 pieces of content every week. And you can go there, you can review it, you can choose what you like, you can edit what you like and publish. So the amount of time you were saving, the amount of assistance you were getting out of AI, the productivity boost was immense. Like what you were doing, now you can do in less than half the time, sometimes even lesser. So yeah, so that's how the journey has been and that's what we've seen. And of course, the world is changing right now. Every sector from healthcare to aviation to fintech, everything is changing because of the large language models, which have become so effective at doing a lot of what was done manually before. It's amazing. It's a great era to be building in. You know, congratulations. It's very rare to find and talk to someone who's not just using AI for the sake of using AI, but you look at AI as a productivity enhancement tool for the problem that you are solving was primarily creating tools for the content marketers. 
maybe we'll touch upon as you're building i'm deeply interested to understand the journey that you have had as you're building your product and because the marketers and the content creators are many times they are either solo entrepreneurs or solopreneurs they are individual people working at at agencies they might be working at a larger companies but they're still a very small subset of people who may not necessarily have all the tools how did you go about targeting them and what's interesting in our previous conversation was that you started using the plg tactics to enable they signing up to your product and they trying out your products tell a little story about why did you consider the plg route and not the slg route maybe we'll start from there and then we'll touch upon a few more things as we go yeah sure so i think th- this is interesting so i had a conversation with another founder who's building a productivity tool and i had this conversation around how do you decide slg plg of course simple things like your acvs matter your uh, audience how widespread they are how many you can tackle whether you're working with a bus- large business or small business this is how you make your typical decisions but i think there's another factor which matters which is something we realized very soon is what is the founder's background what are your strengths in our case my strength was knowing how to drive organic leads and organic traffic through content marketing right so uh, rather than banking on an slg kind of promotion which requires a very different kind of expertise we decided that plg is what we should go for because we understand it and we would be able to build those engines faster work with it so that's how we started that journey initially we did have our moments where we were thinking hey you know what slg is the way to go because initially the first uh, version of our product was oriented towards teens even if when i say teens it doesn't have to be so even if you're a single person marketer for instance now you're working with clients you're working with other people so that's an entire group or a team that you work with and then we thought when you build products like this you need to talk to people help them on board and do things like that so we did some experiments around it we tried to do a bit of a slg motion alongside our plg efforts very soon we realized that your dna matters mm-hmm. that's when we said okay all eggs into the plg market and what we'll do is we'll build a really solid customer support system a really solid customer success team rather than investing into motions like outbound reaching out and trying to generate leads that way so that's what our decision making was and i understand it's different in different teams but that's why we built our marketing engines that way yeah typically i think that's what happens the organization structure of the business the product that the companies are building somehow mimic the dna of the founders so in your case yeah. organic growth is a lot more where your heart was and you probably started your product through that maybe could you share a little bit of experiences and this is some of the spicy things that i'm always interested in is how did you go about getting self done for your customers what i mean by that is you went pretty much all hog on plg you launched your product on product hunt you're enabling your users to automatically sign up to the product and experience it you are you're navigating them to solve a specific problems i've seen some of your onboarding so you've gone pretty much all hog on plg so could you describe a little bit of the back end process that you went through you and your found founding team to design or build your product in such a way that it is oriented towards consumption oriented towards adoption rather than sales led yeah and i think plg is 
what it is. It's product led, right? So I think it's extremely important that when you're building the product, it is built such that somebody can sign up and start using. So th there's some important principles to it that we worked with. One, your sign up should be super easy. We shouldn't mm -hmm. give you very long forms, all these details that we ask about you. Um, and maybe at a certain scale where you have your brand going, you can do that. But as a early stage startup, I think it's counterproductive. So we have a very simple sign up process. We don't ask for a little bit of information. We ask for one simple uh, thing as to who you are so that we understand you a little bit more to customize your experience later. And that's about it. Then once we are into the journey, the next important step is to basically deliver you that aha moment immediately the moment you're into the product. Now this is experimental. Mm -hmm. There's no formula to what will work for you. Every product is different. So we have build and rebuild our onboarding there and onboarding not only on the product but what we are how we're reaching out to you on email or how the customer success team is trying to reach out to you and asking the right questions and not so we have rebuilt this several times over we used to have very different onboarding processes uh, sorry uh, the, the flow on the product and the processes with my team and we have done them several times over. And over a period of time, we learned a couple of things. We also learned that we might have three or four different kind of users. We also decided that when we are sending them information and knowledge articles, say on email, then it should be a different stream. We should be talking about different things. And all of those things started adding up and started working for you. Now, after you go through the onboarding and onboarding, again, there are different philosophies and thoughts. Some people have very complex onboarding with a lot of guidance to users, et cetera. Some people have just leave you on the screen and let it go. And again, there's no single answer for it. Both can work. It, it really depends on the product. So you have to figure out where you want to be. So we took a middle path that we do a little bit of guiding, but then we want our product to be so intuitive so that it starts making sense to you. And it, it's something that we're right now also working on. We run experiments. We try to figure out what will drive more activation for different features and then we try to implement those things so for each segment of customers then we decided what's the aha moment we try to deliver it we try to measure it if we think it's not uh, getting us activation rates we need we tweak it so that's how we've gone about it and once the activation is done the next step is basically to start measuring usage to have that data come in uh, constantly analyzing, figuring out if that if you're able to retain those users to a certain level of activity before which they subscribe. And there's a lot of UX, a lot of UI work that goes into it. We have revamped our UI once completely and we still keep on changing things on the product all the time. So it's really a journey. There are some basic principles that you work with and then you keep experimenting to figure out what's working and try to stick with what's working and try to change things which are not giving you the results that you aimed for. Yeah, so I think you put it very nicely. Maybe I want to go into the slighter depth of how did you go about actually building it? What did you mostly start off with? What did you build first? How did you build next thing? So maybe we'll go through this, maybe a series of these thought processes. I'm guessing you went ahead and built the self-serve portion of it, which is a user coming to a website, signing up to your product. Probably that was what you built first. Is that right? Or did yeah. that, okay. we build the product like that? So it was never come in. The only option is get a demo and then get started. Hmm. So we built it such that you can always sign up and try the product. Initially, we did not, of course, 
layer in things like onboarding, et cetera, which we started yeah. building over a period of yeah, time. Yeah. So it was always sign up first, try things out. Then all of these different touch points where we were reaching out either through email or reaching out even sometimes manually to ask, should we speak? What do you think about it? So we do a lot of customer conversations. That research is ongoing all the time. Even with our current users, we are more than happy to jump on calls and talk. So the process was always like we had our hypothesis about how things should work for our users. We would do mocks, we would build them out. Uh, we would put them, we would run experiments, and then we start cleaning up. So it's like that. And when we think we are not getting what the kind of activation that we need, we've done complete revamps, like we've redesigned everything, put out new things, whether it's look and feel, whether it's uh, user flows uh, on the product. So that's how we've been going about it. We're fairly agile. We're not averse to change ever. And I think that's very critical, especially if you're trying to build a PLG motion, because that, that's the only way you can discover what's going to work on it. There, there's never a single formula to getting it right on any product. So I'm, while I'm listening to you, I'm just taking some notes. And maybe for the listeners, if you're watching us on YouTube, <laughs> you'll see my head's down. But here's the reduction of what you told me just now, Sophia. Maybe the phase one of what you built, you ventured out into the early stage of your building the product journey. Is You got the users to register themselves to your product. You did not have onboarding at that time, but they were able to experience at least some portion of the features. Of course, not very guided but at least be able to experience it. Is that what you went ahead and launched to a small subset of customers? Meaning what did the, what did they experience the first time that, that you sent maybe this onboarding page to them and say, hey, sign up to this product and experience it? How did you get them talking to you with the assumption there's right now no customers, this is the first time you're going out, your alpha release. How did you go about getting your first set of customers with this TLG motion? So the first set of customers, I think like always, they come from people you've already known. I've run two previous businesses. So, of course, even before we launched, we had a launch page. We were getting user interest. We were getting users to tell us if they want to be notified, etc. So we had all of those wait lists to subscribe to the product and that who we actually launched out to. So that all that was done. So it was a process while we were building. It was a process of around four to six months where we did that, where the launch phase was there. We still have our blog running, so there was some information going. Mm -hmm. And uh, then previous uh, customers list, previous people we have talked to, we had reached out to them. And there, were, there was some organic traffic that our blog was driving to get more people uh, who may be interested in the product. So when we launched first, it was a simple sign-up process where people could sign up. And we also had an option to get at them or to talk to us, which was very prominently available. It's still very prominently available. Like I said, very keen to talk to our customers and users because that's the way we learn. We get the full story of how people are thinking about the product. So they started using it. Then we had conversations with some of them who were very keen, actively using the product. We even had bi-weekly, sometimes monthly calls with them so that we understand how they're using it. So we were free for a while. Now we continued in beta for around six odd months. Uh, these first set of customers refining, understanding what they need, what's working for them, not working for them. And then we went, did a soft launch to paid. And that's when we started understanding how serious people are about the product and what's working and not working. 
so that phase went for a while. We, of course, just the workspace solution, we, we were realizing that it was a little difficult to sell to content teams because they had these own workflows and they, they had built a web around them already of how they are used to doing things. So it was harder to sell, which is where we started thinking what will make a big difference. And then we spent a huge amount of effort building all of these AI, SEO tools, et cetera, into the product, which then really took off. And as an extension of it is we realized that could we do more? Could we even do the strategy part of it? Could we do the ideation part of them automatically, which is why we launched the AI autopilot or our content genie this year. And all of those are really now working well. And all along, so we've done redesigns on the product. We've done redesigns on onboarding. We've done different experiments along the way to figure out what will serve the customers best and they are ongoing. This is the story from the first set of customers to where we are now. Yeah. So typically, I think the founders may not necessarily, because you live through that pain as you're iterating through that, sometimes please get etched in your mind on how I'm just trying to bring out those edges. Uh, you should, you yeah. should feel proud about <laughs> what you've achieved. Yeah, it's a journey. Every startup, every product is, is a journey. As against what people see it, like the most successful products weren't really built on the day they became successful or they yeah. became popular. There's yeah. a very long journey before that, which very often doesn't get talked about. I agree. Yeah. And I'm just trying to keep it simple for the listeners here. Is this what you did in phase one? You had the self-serve registration. You had some kind of wait lists. You had the talk to us or get a demo use case so that they come in, they sign up and they will probably schedule some time to talk to you. And then you had some of the features, baseline features within your product. And in phase two, by the way, phase one, it took about three to three to four months for you to get some of that done. In phase two, you had a soft launch and you added workspaces as a feature so you can multiple people can collaborate. Is that right? That's, the, that's what you have the workspace feature. So multiple content creators are sharing things, collaborating with each other. And you build that next. The workspace always started with all the collaboration and team yeah. management, project management features. AI is what AI tools, creation tools is what we added as to. Yeah, so when we went soft launch paid, we already had a working con content workspace, collaboration workspace that teams could come. A primary use case very often was working with a, a bigger team of creators and with the content manager sitting at the core of it, trying to get the work done, to automate some of the parts of that workflow and doing it all in the same place. So that's that was pretty much our phase one. Phase two was just skyrocketing the productivity with AI on the product. And at what point in time did you add some kind of a free plans or either trials or freemium? Could you tell a little more? Is it you had yeah. it from day one in phase one or did you add it much later in phase two? We had a journey before Naredo with Drama Pair. We were very successful doing freemium. We had a free plan. Users used to come, use it consistently over a Just long period of time. Right? Yes. So we started with the same on Naredo as well. So we used to have a free plan. So where you could come, register. It was limited on features. It was limited on things that you could do on the product, but it was still useful. And you could use it and then decide if you really 
liked it. You could, you needed more users to come to the platform. You could upgrade. And then we started adding AI features. So we were still free for a while. Then mm -hmm. we just realized when we were looking at our data that our most serious users were anyways paying us. So yeah. our most active users were only anyways paying us. There was a very small percentage of free users who were regularly using the product. And so it, it made very little sense for us to elongate that period of conversion by giving something for free. Because when you have something for free, then you tend to start paying. Uh, that decision to pay actually becomes infinite, can take infinite time. So we wanted to shorten the period. So we decided that we are going to do away with the free plan. We'll get into a free trial mode. So now the product is two weeks free, free trial. And then we have very inexpensive plans depending on where you are as a content marketer, creator, or team in the journey that you can decide that I want to pay a little less or I want to pay for all the features and get on the product. And that's way more manageable. Our data is way more manageable. So when we look at data and we say, okay, these are the features that are getting most used, we know they are getting used by the users who are serious about the product. Our the focus in terms of product development has improved as well. So we're focusing on the right things. We're building for the right goals. So our journey from premium to free trial has been interesting because I had a bias for premium. I, I like the idea of having lots and lots of users use the product. And that's a way to grow because if you grow through virality, that's one of the best ways to do it. But the merits of a core set of paying users outweighed in our case the merit of having a large set of users who are semi-serious about the product. So mm -hmm. we went that way. That's a good way to eliminate. Maybe another question around knowing your users. You know, I think in both phase one and phase two, you had users signing up to your product unbeknownst to you. They may, they may not necessarily be talking to you before they sign up. So how did you know about who these users are? Did you run any kind of back and enrichment about who these users are? Did you make them, did you make your login or signups only? Hey, you should put in only your work email. If not, you'll not be able to sign. So how did you start getting to know about these users and who these are and where do they work and all of that? Yeah. We have some philosophies around how users should be able to sign up to the product. We, we believe things should be very open. We shouldn't restrict them when they want to use a product. It doesn't matter whether they are going to be signing up with their personal emails and bring in work emails later or team later. Mm -hmm. So we never close that system up. You can use any email to come and uh, sign up. And we ask for very little information. Again, we don't want to ask too much so that you feel so overwhelmed with it that you forget all about the product, but you're saying, hey, this is too much of a hassle for me to work with. So we ask for a very simple piece of information. We ask, who you are, and there are just four or five options. Are you a business? Are you a solopreneur, marketer, et cetera? Are you an agency, which, because we, there are lots of uh, marketing agencies, et cetera, who are interested. And that's pretty much it. We don't ask for more. That's usually more than enough for us to work with. The rest of the information about our users very often comes from the user research that we do when we talk to our customers, when we reach out to them, et cetera, mm -hmm. to try and understand more about them. Then if we have to enrich our data later of our paid subscribers, we put in that manual right. effort if that's what's needed or automated effort through some of the tools to collect more information and understand them. But we try not to overwhelm our users by 
by making them provide us that information at yeah. the onset. Yeah. So this has so been our philosophy. Probably, yeah, you can probably look that up uh, offline as well. And I know we'll, we, we are running out of time and to all the listeners, we'll probably put up a small uh, like a table on the journey of phase one and phase two and all the vectors that we just talked about. We'll, you know, we'll work with uh, Sophia in the back end to be able to bring that to you. Uh, I had one last question. In this phase one and phase two that you're talking about your launches, when did you go ahead and figure out that product hunt would be a great way for you to launch? Is that part of your phase one that, hey, that's the strategy that you want to get into? Or you tell us a little more about your product hunt experience and how many times have you launched on product hunt? Why did you launch it? Which phase do you actually thought it's a good idea to launch a little more broadly on product hunt? Yeah. So product hunt is a very, it's a special community. It's a community of a, a, a set of people who are looking to try new things and it may or may not be your community. So it's very important yeah. to understand that. For example, if you are a large enterprise product, I don't think product hunt might be the place for you to go because that's not where your ent enterprise buyers or customers would be. But it is a good place if you are going to be a product which is going to have some kind of a bigger mass use case, for instance. So initially, when we built the product, which was just the workspace, a team collaboration space for specifically for content, we actively decided that we are not going to be doing a product hunt launch right now. Mm -hmm. and we also decided that we need to start seeing the point where we are ready for product hunt is when we start seeing on our product that our self-serve motion is actually working because product hunt means that you go to product hunt, you put your product out there, somebody has to sign up, try it out, or feel at least excited to try it out and try it out and probably maybe become a customer of yours as well. So we made it out till the moment we thought we were ready with an app, which was very quick to sign in, very quick mm -hmm. to get started with, and see an immediate value out of it, which is why what we launched in Product Hunt was also our AI content creation marketing autopilot tool that we call Content Genie. And that was perfect for it, perfect for that audience. That audience would give you five minutes maybe at max, maybe one minute at times. And this tool was perfect because you could go, you'll enter your website, some themes, and the, the tool is creating all of this great content almost immediately in front of your eyes. And you can schedule it, you can clean it up. So we knew it was ready. So that's why we launched with it, and that made a lot of sense. And with product and community, of course, there's a little bit of work that you should put in, like two, three weeks of work where you are already doing the outreach, building up the excitement, and before you go into the launch, and then through the day, putting in the effort to reach out to different people to have a look at it, leave feedback, and all of that. It was amazing. So we were product of the day. We were not, they were just aiming to be in like maybe the top five at least so that we get noticed. We were product of the day, product of the week, number one marketing product of the month as well, and number two product of the month. And it was, it was fantastic. It, and truly paid off. Our traffic was, our signups was, was 4x for all, almost that week. It tapered off to three twice x and some of it is sustaining. Mm -hmm. We got some, quite a few of the customers out of that traffic as well, but we then get, got spread out on a lot of blogs. We got talked about, so it was perfect. So I think things about 
every community is you have to figure out if that community is ready for what you have to offer. Yeah. If there's a mismatch, then you get suboptimal outputs. Yeah. No, congratulations on um, waiting it out, making sure that your product is well-baked before you have this barrage of users you know, potentially trying to sign up to your product, so making it much more easy. So I know we are out of time, uh, but to all our listeners, if you're interested to try out Narrator and, uh, and you're trying to go buy that, Sophia and her team has been given us a generous offer. You have 20% off for the first year of Narrator. If you use a promo code called as Thrive20, we'll add it up for the show notes. Sophia, it was a wonderful, pleasurable experience to talk to you today. And thanks for sharing out so much of details. Thank you, Sophia. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Firaj. Uh, it was a lot of fun as well. Thank you. And listeners, appreciate your time. And if you have any suggestions on who should we bring in next and what are the other topics that you would like to hear, reach out to us. Mm-hmm.